and uh, they're represented in the boxes here. We talked about uh, the idol of children first. We talked about the idol of pleasure second. We talked about the idol of work uh, in view of Father's Day. And this morning, uh, we will be talking about the idol of acceptance. And so this is where we're going to be, the idol factory part seven, the idol of acceptance. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time, and we're going to dive in. Father, thanks again just for the great privilege that it is to sit under your word. Uh, We do ask that you would speak, that you would come, and that you would enable us to be uh, hearers and doers of your word. Uh, Spirit, would you come, guard my lips, help me to say what is good and true and accurate and nothing less, and Spirit, come in power and impact our hearts uh, through your word. We desperately need you to come. We don't want to leave here unchanged. We don't want to leave here as mere spectators. Of, of an event, but as worshipers of a holy God who desires to change us through his Son and through the work of the Spirit. And so come, do that in our midst, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I want to begin this morning on the idol of acceptance, and I would like to begin by giving you a, a quick, uh, three quick snapshots of uh, bits and pieces of my life. Uh, I want to begin this morning by saying uh, that sometimes, as a preacher, you preach on things that... Um, don't necessarily correlate with where you are as a person. You preach God's word because that's what you're supposed to do. And sometimes it's for the people in the pews. Uh, Well, this morning, uh, I'm sure you've heard the phrase preaching to the choir. Uh, Well, this morning, I'm not only preaching to the choir, but I'm preaching to the pastor. Uh, This morning I'm preaching to the pastor because uh, we're going to be talking about the idol of acceptance. And I'll raise my hand and admit to you that this is an idol that I struggle with. And so I want to give you three, uh, three snapshots to maybe begin to allow you to flesh out what this looks like not only in my life but in your life as well. And then we'll get into our text in the book of Galatians. Number one, snapshot number one is, is one of my very first memories that I can, can remember. Um, I was probably five or six, whatever age you are when you go into kindergarten. And uh, I think I was in Mrs. Sosa's kindergarten class, is that right? Uh, and uh, she was a good friend of ours. But I, I came into uh, kindergarten and, and one of the earliest memories I have is that of learning our ABCs. Now, in this kindergarten class, there was not only uh, the intent to learn the ABCs, but there was a reward. And so uh, they rewarded us. The kind of the, the bait, if you will, uh, was Mrs. Sosa had a, a large plastic tub, if you, if you will, of, filled with toy dinosaurs that were like glow-in-the-dark dinosaurs. And they were about yay big. Can you imagine uh, in your mind what that's like? And it, it stood probably this big. It had several toy dinosaurs. But all of you who are dinosaur lovers, like myself know that if you're going to get a toy dinosaur as a, as, a, as a prize, there's really only one dinosaur that you want. Which one? T-Rex, baby. And so I remember as a young, as a young five-year-old being driven not only by the T-Rex to learn my ABCs first, but there was something deeper going on. And in retrospect, I, I, I contemplate this, and there was something deeper. Not only, what, and by the way, I won the T-Rex first to, to spell my ABCs. Yeah! <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I can do it now, but I, I could then. Um, uh, but there was something that was driving me more than just the, the joy of having a T-Rex toy. In that moment, I wanted to be the best. I wanted my peers to think well of me, even at age five and, and six. And I wanted this new authority figure teacher, um, I wanted her to like me as well. And so I was driven, even at, at an early age in my, uh, in my retrospect memory, by the idol of acceptance. Number two, uh, flash forward 
oh, maybe about seven years to when I was age 12 or maybe 13, whatever age it is that you were entering junior high. Now, I don't know how many of you remember junior high. Um, I try to forget junior high. How many of you try to forget junior high? Let's be honest. I try to forget everything about junior high. But one of the memories that is uh, seared in my mind about junior high had to do with the idol of, of acceptance as it related to music. Now, I don't know how many of you are music buffs. I'm certainly not a music buff, but I remember very distinctly that the junior high era for me uh, was dominated by two musicians, at least in my school. Number one was MC Hammer. Any Hammer fans out there? Don't admit it, okay? Don't admit it. MC Hammer was big, and then Vanilla Ice, the white rapper, Vanilla Ice. Um, And his popularized song was called... Ice Ice Baby, that's right. Now, in our class, it seemed like everybody knew the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby. And so me and my friend, we didn't know the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby, and me being driven by a great need at that stage of my life to be accepted by my peers and to be like everyone else, I recall going over to a friend's house. His name was Randy Burke. Mom, you know him. And uh, we, I think we borrowed a tape of Vanilla Ice, and we stuck it in the tape player. And I remember for about two hours, play, Dun, 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 dun. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you, right? But no, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, no, I refuse. Uh, and so I remember playing the first lyric and us memorizing it lyric by lyric. Play, rewind, play, rewind, until we learned the words to Ice Ice Baby and we could be like everyone else. Uh, example number three, fast forward several more years. Uh, to my first year of marriage. Um, no details here, but, uh, but as a young married man, I came head to head uh, with the idol of acceptance as I learned early on in marriage that I had, a tr- I had tremendous trouble expressing disagreements with my wife. Um, and this oftentimes led to frustration inwardly. I bottled things in. If, I, if she was doing something that bothered me, um, I, I wouldn't tell her. I was afraid to tell her. I didn't want to rub the relationship a wrong way. And, and And in retrospect, I I think, and I'm still working through this, there's a deep fear of rejection that I struggle with. And the way that it manifested itself in our marriage was, I didn't want my newfound bride to reject me after our first year. I wanted her to accept me for who I was. And so out of fear, out of serving the idol of acceptance, um, oftentimes uh, we didn't have healthy disagreements because I would not bring them up. I just left it inside and I left it bottled in. And so that's, those are three snapshots of me in my life serving and struggling with the idol of acceptance. Um, what about you? Maybe this is one that you struggle with as well. And if you do, I think you can immediately correlate and respond to what I'm saying. Some of you out there are like, dude, you're a wimp. Uh, you just struggle with acceptance and get over it. Um, well, we're going to talk about you in a little bit. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll talk about the issue of pride and the issue of self, <laughs> self-reliance. No, I'm serious. We're going to talk about self-reliance. I <laughs> wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> Glad you thought it was. Um, uh, but the point is, maybe you really relate to this, and this is going to be a home run for you. Maybe you don't relate to this at all, but I would suggest that you know someone close that who does. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your sister, maybe it's one of your kids, maybe it's a nephew or niece or a co-worker. Um, the, the likelihood is, is that you know someone who struggles with this and you can, first of all, understand why we are the way we are and secondly, respond rightly. So the idol 
Factory part six, the idol of acceptance. Uh, if you're taking notes, we've got three main points. And so jot these down. This will guide our exploration of the idol of acceptance. Number one, uh, first we're going to look at characteristics. So that's the first word, characteristics. What are some of the characteristics of people who struggle with the idol of acceptance? We're going to see that in Galatians chapter one. Number two, what are the symptoms? That's the key word. What are the symptoms of the idol of acceptance? That is, how do you know, how do you come to discover if you, if you might struggle with this idol? And then number three, prescription. That's the key word, prescription. What is the prescription to the idol of, of acceptance? That is, how in the world, if you have the idol of acceptance, do you get over it? So that's where we're going to be. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. This is where we're going to begin as we see a couple, just a couple characteristics of people who struggle with the idol of acceptance. And we are going to see this in the life, in the, in the writings of Apostle Paul. Now, uh, as I said in my early sermon series, some of the people that we're going to look at serve as positive examples. That is, they don't struggle with a particular idol and we can emulate them. Certain people uh, are negative examples. They do struggle with the idol uh, and we should not emulate them. What we're going to see this morning from Paul is a positive example. That is, Paul uh, did not struggle with, as far as we could tell, uh, the idol of acceptance. And so we're going to learn uh, from his positive example what some negative characteristics are of this idol. So let's do this. Let's read Galatians chapter 1. I think we're going to start with verse 6. I'll just read starting in verse 1 in chapter 1, and then when we get to 6, we can pick it up together, and we'll see a couple characteristics. Starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he has a brief introduction, and then he kind of gets into the thick of the purpose of writing. And so let's pick up in verse 6. I am astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And then verse 10 is where we'll focus. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is what I want us to see. Uh, a couple characteristics of people who serve and struggle with the idol of acceptance. The first we find in verses 6 through 9, and we find it in the positive example of Paul. Uh, jot these couple points down. The first characteristic is this. People who struggle with the idol of acceptance are afraid to say things that other people don't want to hear. They're afraid to say things that are controversial. They are afraid to say things that g might upset the hearer. And we see this very clearly in verses 6 through 9. Did you notice uh, the strong language that we see in verses 6 and 9? Paul is not necessarily...
How about that? Better? That's good because I just screamed at you. So that's okay. <laughs> God's grace, right? Um, people who struggle with the idol of acceptance would find it very difficult to write what Paul wrote in verses 6 and 7. I would find it difficult to write to my brothers and sisters in Christ something like this, although it was very, very necessary. Um, and so, uh, by way of context, by way of context, let me share with you what's going on in the larger scope of the book. We've seen that Paul writes to them boldly. We see that he says, hey, you've turned from the true gospel and you've turned away from it. What are you doing? Those people who are teaching you that gospel, let them be accursed. And so what he's saying is very strong words. Um, but here's the greater context of the story. Basically what's going on is uh, something similar to this story. I want to read to you a story that I came across uh, in my studies that I think illustrates very clearly what's happening in the book of Galatians. And so I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, any of you football fans out there? Okay, great. Uh, I'm football. I, I love football. And uh, it's summer, which is like football desert time, you know, like you long for kickoff time. So here's a football story for you to get you through into kickoff uh, next year. In 1929, uh, in the Rose Bowl, Georgia Tech, who was playing the University of California, uh, was playing the California when the ball popped out of the hands of a Georgia Tech running back. So Georgia Tech has the ball, running back's running, and he fumbles. A guy by the name of Roy Regals of the University of California, who is the center, scooped it up and cut across the field, so the sinner recovers the fumble. Then finding himself hemmed in, he reversed field. It was at this point that Regals lost his bearings and begun to run downfield in the wrong direction. Have you ever seen this happen? A player gets turned around, they pick up the ball, they think they're going forwards toward their end zone, and they're going towards the opposite end zone. If you're football, uh, you know, ignorant... That's not good. <laughs> That's just not good. The story goes on. He broke loose, dashing toward the wrong end zone. 70,000 fans watched as Regals dumbfounded as the announcer, the radio announcer at the time, Graham McNamee, said this as Regals crossed the 50-yard line. What's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Over the PA system. The crowd shouted at Regals in a vain attempt to turn him around. Nonetheless, his teammate by the name of Benny Loom pursued the center downfield, screaming at him, turning, telling him to turn back around. Finally, Lom was forced to tackle his own teammate one yard short of scoring the other team a touchdown. So barely, he just caught him. When the University of California attempted to kick out of their own end zone, so they had to punt, right, from the, out of their end zone, when they attempted to punt, it was Regals, the center, who was centered the ball, right? Not a good idea. The kick was blocked by the University of Georgia Tech, and it rolled into the end zone. They pounced on it, and it was a safety, and the game was won by Georgia Tech by a score of 8-7. to seven. And from hence there on, they call him uh, the wrong, wrong way regal. That's what they call him, wrong way regal. Now, here's the point of this football story, other than to tide your appetite till football season. This is kind of what's going on in the book of Galatians. Uh, the church in Galatia, the Christian church, started off going the right direction. They started off believing and receiving the gospel of grace, that you are made right with God through faith, and they were heading the right way, but then they kind of took a turn. They believed a different gospel, and they started going the other way. And Paul, if you will, serves as the teammate who is chasing them down, trying to tackle them before they, ser before they score a touchdown for the other team is essentially what's going on. And the point that I simply want to make is this. Number one, if you struggle with the idol of acceptance, you won't say what Paul said 
in verses 6 through 9 because you struggle to say things that might rock the relationship. So what about you? Do you identify with this? Do you struggle? Are you afraid to say things to people that might cause a stir? Are you concerned to bring up something with someone who maybe has wronged you? When you're talking with someone, do you smooth things over instead of being intentional and truthful? If so, then you may struggle with this idol. Number two, the second characteristic we see in verse 10. Let me read verse 10 uh, again. The second characteristic is this. People who struggle with the idol of acceptance value people's approval more than God's. They value man's approval more than God's approval. They are more concerned about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. Let's read verse 10, uh, verse 10 again. Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And there, there's a lot that could be said here, but the simple point is this. Paul makes it an either-or. If we pursue pleasing God through Jesus Christ, then we will not pursue pleasing man. But if we are wrapped up in pleasing man, ultimately, then there will be times where we will please man over God. Pastor Jamie Munson, one of the pastors at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, says this, and I think he's right on. He says, when we care more, when we care about what man Excuse me. When we care about what man thinks more than what God thinks, we turn people into idols that we worship, seeking to please them in order to earn their approval or respect. So what about you? I mean, this is a hard question, but whose approval do you ultimately seek? I mean, really, when it gets down to the core of your being, who do you really want to hear the words, I love you, you matter, you are accepted. You are approved. Who, whose approval really, deep down, really matters to you? Secondly, another way to ask it is, whose approval, if you lost it, if you lost this person's approval, you would not want to live. You could not live like that. And you think, if, if this person was not okay with me, then I would just be lost. Um, if those are, are true, then... Maybe you, as I do, struggle with the idol of acceptance. And so we've seen a couple characteristics of the idol of acceptance. Moving on, what I want now to do is to get a little bit more practical. What are some of the symptoms of the idol of acceptance? And what I mean by that is, you may be sitting out there and you may be thinking, well, maybe I struggle with this idol and, and maybe I don't. I'm not really sure. What are some of the, the consequences? What are some of the characteristics of a life lived in pursuit serving the idol of acceptance? Well, I want to share three with you this morning from the blog of, again, Pastor Jamie Munson. Uh, He, in his blog post, listed eight of them, I believe. I will just give you three. Three symptoms of the idol of acceptance. And so if any of these characterize your life, then maybe you struggle with uh, with this idol. Number one, the first symptom of the idol of acceptance is what he calls fakeness. So jot these down if you're taking notes. Fakeness. Fakeness. This is what uh, Jamie Munson says. Quote, If you're overly motivated by the opinion of others, you won't act like yourself. You'll be a chameleon, adapting yourself to any situation for the sole purpose of fitting in. That's what it looks like to serve the idol of acceptance is you become somebody you are not. You are fake. You're like a chameleon. On this setting, you're pink, and in this setting, you're yellow. So what about you? 
Let me ask you a few questions. Do you ever find yourself not acting like yourself? I mean, do you ever get out of a situation with a particular group of people, maybe it's a party or at the office or with the guys or, or whatever it is, and you find yourself leaving and you ask yourself, why did I say that? Why did I act like that? Then maybe, maybe you struggle with the idol of acceptance. Maybe it's when you're with the buds and you're just a little bit more crude than you are when you're with the guys at uh, Monday morning Bible study. Maybe you're a little bit more bubbly around the ladies at the party than you are just with your sisters in your life. What about you? Do you find yourself struggling being yourself? Fakeness? Um, a quick story on this uh, to illustrate the point. Um, not at all an indictment uh, on my sister-in-law, but my sister-in-law lives in Arkansas. She lives in northern Arkansas, just about 45 minutes south of Branson, Missouri. Uh, beautiful country. If you've ever been to Arkansas, you'll uh, notice a couple things. They call it the natural state, which means it's uh, like lush, and there's a lot of hills, and it's just kind of natural and, and unperverted, if you will. So that's one thing. But secondly, uh, like my kinfolk in Texas, sometimes they talk with a bit of a drawl. They kind of talk differently. Um, and so it, it's interesting because my, my, my wife has pointed out that we'll be at my sister-in-law's house and we'll be talking with her normal conversation and the phone will ring, right? And she'll say, oh, give me a minute. And she'll go and she'll pick up the phone. And instead of talking like she normally does, you get a little bit of a, hi, oh, I'm doing fine. Just a little bit of an Arkansas draw. And my, and my wife says, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, like with us, not at all. But when she's talking with her friends on the phone, there's just a little bit of a twinge. Now, she's not fake. You know, she's not doing anything intentionally. But you know what? That's kind of how we are if we struggle with the idol of acceptance. We just kind of change according to our audience. Uh, the second symptom of the idol of acceptance that uh, Pastor Munson points out is apathy. So if you're taking notes, number two is apathy. Apathy. He says this, Fear man and you'll quit taking risks. Fear man and you'll quit taking risks because of the potential for embarrassment and failure. If, you, if an endeavor is unlikely to succeed, you'll never take the chance. Do you see how fear of man will lead you to apathy? You won't be a risk taker because you fear failure. And when you fail, what you ultimately fear is people looking at you and saying, you are not good. You are a failure. Um, I shared with you a few weeks ago uh, kind of the drama in our household over fixing our, um, our dishwasher. It broke, and we decided instead of having somebody else put it in, we were going to put it in, right? And you know how extremely handy I am. I'm like, what's a lug nut? What's a wrench? What's a, I don't, you know, just finding the right tools to get this thing out was really a struggle for me because I'm not handy at all. But we did it, uh, and I came to realize that I don't do things like that because I don't do well at them. I don't do things like that because I'm afraid that my wife's going to look at me and say, you're less of a man because you can't fix my dishwasher. Seriously. I, if, I, if there's a good chance I'm going to fail at it, I will avoid it. This is me. This is me. What about you? Do you fear failure? Do you take risks or not? And if you don't take risks, have you ever asked why? Have you ever asked why you don't take some risks? Is it because ultimately you fear people's response if you fail? Number two, apathy. Fakeness, apathy. Number three, uh, Jamie Munson says dishonesty is also a symptom of this. Dishonesty. He says this, If we fear somebody's response, necessary words will remain unsaid. 
because we care more about ourselves, that is being liked, than we do about the person. This is a huge one. For those of us who struggle with fear of man, uh, we easily creep into dishonesty. We don't say things that need to be said. Number one, we take the edge off. We fear a rift in the relationship. And so we will not bring up things that need to be brought up because we do not want our spouse, our siblings, our friends, our coworkers, our boss mad at us. We fear that. And so we bend the truth. We out and out lie. We, we don't uh, say things that we should say. We forget details here or there. We just leave little things out. If any of that describes you, you may struggle, as I do, with the idol of acceptance. And so number three, as we wrap up and begin to prepare to, uh, to take communion, uh, begin to prepare to receive the broken body of Christ and the blood spilt out for us, I want to close with the prescription. The prescription to the idol of acceptance, and that's found in the book of Romans. And so if you have your Bibles, flip backwards with me a little bit to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Uh, Romans chapter 15 in the NIV Bible uh, falls at, at page 922. The prescription to the idol of acceptance. So here's the deal. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, that's me. I struggle with this. I am afraid to say things that people don't want to hear. I value people's approval more than I value God. I can find myself being fake. I can find myself being apathetic. I can find myself being dishonest even. This is me. What am I supposed to do? Uh, number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus as the Son of God who lived a perfect life in your place, who died a perfect death for your sins, bearing the wrath of God, if you believe that he rose from the dead to defeat Satan and sin and death, if you believe he's coming back and he's progressively transforming you to look like him, if you're a true Christian this morning, here's the answer. Here is the answer. The prescription to the idol of acceptance is simply found in the gospel. This is not rocket science. It's simply found in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's found in the simple truth that if you are a Christian, you have been accepted. That's it. If you are a Christian in your relationship with God, the one that matters ultimately the most, the one whose opinion really counts, the one who tells you who you are, who shapes your identity, if you are a Christian, the truth is that you have been accepted. Romans 15, 7 says this. Uh, Paul says at the end of this epistle, accept one another, and here's the part I want us to focus on. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Just as Christ accepted you. In order, in order to bring praise to God. See, this is the marvelous thing. For those of us who are Christians who struggle with acceptance, I want my wife to accept me. I want my family to accept me. I want my church to accept me. I want my community to accept me. I want people's approval. I want you to look at me and say, he's valuable, he's worth something. Our relationship is secure. I'm never going to, regardless of what you do, regardless of what you say, our relationship is always going to be good. If you struggle like I do, with this idol, then that's what you want. You want security. And I hear in the gospel the good news that I have it, that I have it, that I'm made right with Christ, that God looks at me and says, I see my son, Jesus Christ, and regardless of what you do, I love you. Regardless of what you do, you're accepted. You're unconditionally loved. Dan Ortland. Author Dan Ortland says this, and I think he nails it on the head. He says, The gospel frees us relationally. 
The gospel frees us relationally, accepted in Christ, the craving for acceptance from others is emptied. And that is the wonderful news of those of the gospel for those of us who struggle with this. I want to close with a story, a story that I found in, in, in uh, R. Lofton Hudson's book. Uh, I don't know what the title means. It's kind of interesting. The title of his book is this, Grace is Not a Blue-Eyed Blonde. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but that's what it's worth. In his book, Grace is Not a Blue-Eyed Blonde, he shares this story. And I want to close with it before we uh, partake of communion. He says this in an excerpt of one of his books, telling a story of one of our early presidents, Thomas Jefferson. He says this, <clears throat> During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across, across the country on horseback. They came to a river which had, left its, uh, which had left its banks because of a recent downpour. The swollen river had washed the bridge away. Each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. The very real possibility of, of death threatened each and every rider, while, uh, which caused a traveler who was not a part of their group to step aside and watch. After several had plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger, the man observing, asked President Jefferson if he would ferry him across the river. That is, take him on his horse. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and <clears throat> shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto dry ground, and one in the group asked him this, Tell me, the man asked the stranger, Tell me, why did you select the President of the United States to ask this favor from? The man was shocked. He admitted that he had no idea that this was uh, the President who had helped him. And this is what the man said. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer, no. And on some of them was the answer, yes. His face was a yes face. And I would propose to you that if you, like I do, struggle with the idol of acceptance, the prescription is to know that in Jesus Christ, as we look and as we come to God with our questions, am I unconditionally loved? Am I accepted even if I fail? Am I valuable? We come to God through faith in Jesus Christ and we can say like this man, his face was a yes face. And that is how we get over our struggle with the idol of acceptance. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for your very word. Uh, thank you that it speaks in such a practical and, and real manner, uh, Father. Um, thank you uh, that you have accepted us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much that we, uh, because of our simple faith and nothing that we could do, that we are forever accepted, that we are forever loved, that we are forever your son, that we are forever your daughter, and that there's nothing that we can do uh, that will break that relationship and though we sin and err and grieve your heart and grieve your spirit, uh, Father, your face is a yes face because of Jesus Christ, because of our simple faith in him. And so I pray now uh, for people like myself who struggle with this idol. Father, may we seek your acceptance more than man's. And may we find that your acceptance is good through faith in Jesus Christ. May we not be afraid to say things that need to be said. Father, may we not be fake. May we not be apathetic. May we not be dishonest. But may we find all of the security that we are looking for and that we so long for in you. 
in faith in Christ. God, I pray for someone here um, who does not know Jesus. Uh, they uh, cannot say that they have come to the place where they recognize that, uh, that they sin and that they're not perfect and that you are a holy God, that they are separated from you, that they're spiritually dead, that they're looking and searching and they are not finding satisfaction in anything in this world. There's no purpose outside of you. I pray that they would come to realize that you have come to restore us uh, to yourself through Jesus Christ and that by simple faith, by a simple trust in the Son of God, that we are made right, that we are changed, that we are accepted, that we are made a part of the family of God, that you give us your spirit to change us and transform us into your likeness, and that you have given us a sure promise that one day we will be with you forever and ever through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray for that, that they would place their faith in Jesus and be a Christian this day. Father, I pray now, as we'll have a few moments of silence, um, I pray that we would contemplate the death and burial uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ for us as we prepare our hearts, as we think about the bread that was torn, we remember that his flesh was torn from his body and as we drink of the juice, we are reminded that we serve a bloody Savior who loved us enough to die and to bleed uh, for us. And so, Father, I pray now uh, for those in this room who are believers in Christ as we prepare our hearts to take Uh, May we come as we're ready, and may you be honored and glorified as we receive uh, this good communion with your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, we're going to have some music playing, and uh, as you're ready, I'd invite you to pray, I invite you to uh, think, to contemplate, to read. And uh, if you're a believer in Christ, when you're prepared, please come forward and partake in the elements, and uh, we'll close in song. Hit the music, guys.